From the University of Sydney Business School, this is Sydney Business Insights. And this is Corona Business Insights. I'm Sandra Peter. And I'm Kyrie. And we're back unpacking the impact of COVID-19 on business, the economy, industry, government, workers and society, and looking at the effects of the pandemic while still in lockdown here in Sydney. And this podcast is part of a larger initiative by the University of Sydney Business School. And you can still find our COVID business impact dashboard online at sbi.sydney.edu.au slash coronavirus. And today we're back taking a look at where the COVID-19 pandemic has left us on a range of topics and revisiting well-being. And this is part three of a series looking at changes in our work practices and the future of hybrid work. And our previous episodes have looked at the move to remote work and the implications for productivity. And in the next episode, we will revisit relationships and culture as we look at shifting work practices, distributed and hybrid work. Since the first wave of the pandemic, we've been talking a fair bit about well-being, especially with the move to remote work and working from home. Now we're back in lockdown, so very front of mind for many of us, a conversation around well-being. And before we delve into the many facets of well-being or lack of well-being during lockdown while working from home, remote working, it's worth looking at what the conversation about working from home was like pre-pandemic. And pre-pandemic, the conversation was fairly simple. When we discussed well-being and especially working from home, working remotely was always positively associated with increased autonomy. It had spillover effects into job satisfaction with people reporting higher job satisfaction when they were working from home. And we'll include a couple of studies, as always, in the show notes. Yeah, it was really about better work-life balance, right? So remember, working from home was something that people elect to do. Very few people would work from home uh, permanently. So it was a way to get away from the hustle and bustle of the office, to have some concentrated work or just work among the people at home and not having to commute, for example. Indeed, commuting was negatively associated with well-being, with studies showing that an additional 20 minutes of commuting reduced well-being by as much as a 19% pay cut. So an additional 20 minutes spent on the bus or on the train, people perceived it as bad as getting an almost 20% pay cut. That's especially when people already had a fairly long commute as, um, you know, house prices in places like Sydney would drive people out to the suburbs. And all of this changed radically as the world was plunged into the first lockdowns as everyone found themselves at home, children, pets, partners included. The situation of working from home all of a sudden became just work and life all rolled into one. No thinking about work-life balance, really. And even thinking around the commute changed. There were, first of all, all the usual suspects, right? We started spending a lot more time on work, and we talked about this at length in our previous productivity episode. People having meetings into all hours of the nights and sending emails and sending messages. Then there was all the trouble associated with remote meetings, so Zoom fatigue. And again, we've had a whole episode around video conferencing and Zooming. And of course, Zoom fatigue, very real. Again, we'll put the links in the uh, show notes. But that was compounded by the general anxiety and stress around 
the lockdown, around the uncertainty about what would happen to my job, and the loss of social contacts as people found themselves now in scheduled Zoom meetings rather than bumping into people in corridors or in the coffee shop. And it turned out that even the commute, the lack of the commute led to an overall decrease in well-being as people missed the time that you would spend on the bus or on the train and that clear demarcation between work and life. And that's a really interesting insight, right, where the lockdown and work from home is one of those natural experiments that let people study phenomena like the commute, where it turns out that people actually start missing the commute because it was this physical boundary between the work life and the personal life, between those contexts. It allowed people to basically transition in an orderly way, and that broke away, as we mentioned in the previous episode. But probably the biggest insight into well-being during the pandemic, and as many of us are still engaged in remote work and many people are working at least part of the time from home around the world. The biggest insight has been that the impact of the pandemic on well-being and on mental health appear to have been disproportionately affecting certain groups. So first of all, research has shown that um, managers reported much higher levels of well-being, much less problems with mental health than their subordinates likely because they were more connected, they had a better overview, more social interactions and less isolation. So while 61% of leaders were describing themselves as thriving, research showed that subordinates, so those who didn't have a say in decision-making, were thriving 23% less than their bosses were. And then there's the gender gap with women disproportionately having to attend to home duties and childminding, homeschooling, therefore reporting much higher levels of stress than male workers. And most of all, the pandemic seems to have affected the mental health and well-being of young people. That is, on the one hand, the people who are early in their career, but also young people more generally. And we'll include a link in the show notes to a Sydney Ideas event that looked at pandemic fatigue in young people and how their well-being and mental health was affected disproportionately to other groups. Among other things, the panel discussed recent data from the Australian Bureau of Statistics that showed that about 30% of young people reported high or very high levels of distress during the pandemic, and that is teenagers and young adults, which are concerning numbers and which has a spillover effect on how well people will then do in their jobs and perform in their work as they are stuck at home. But since we've all been now stuck at home for a very long time, so unlike the beginning of the pandemic where it was all new and we were just figuring out how we're doing this, we've now been at this for more than a year and a half. Yeah, the excitement of, um, you know, baking sourdough bread or having Zoom cocktails, all of that has really gone away. So there's not only Zoom fatigue, there is lockdown fatigue, work from home fatigue. And that shows in statistics around well-being and burnout. And so we must mention burnout, right? A condition that might start with a 
gradual lack of energy and tiredness, but which then builds into a sense of exhaustion, which then doesn't leave you and you feel apathy towards your job, things you previously enjoyed, your productivity drops, or at least it feels like it does. And everything you try to do to compensate for these things just seems to make it worse and worse and you feel even more tired. So you're probably burned out. And there was a really interesting article in Wired magazine, which we will put in the show notes, making the argument that it is time to have a renewed conversation as a society around burnout, to normalize the discussion. Because on the one hand, there are typical professions where burnout is almost worn as a badge of honor, hardworking office workers, knowledge workers that work themselves to exhaustion. And of course, there's differences in, in different cultures and maybe health professionals. But there are other professions where burnout is just as prevalent, where mental health issues carry a stigma and where this condition is not recognized at all. But these are, of course, highly unusual circumstances we find ourselves in. So not only our jobs have changed, but the way we interact with our families, with our communities, the way we spend our holidays have changed. And so there's now compounding effects when it comes to burnout. So on the one hand, there might be underlying issues in someone's job where there is a mismatch between the person and the role. And there was already tension which has been aggravated by the pandemic by working from home, by a lack of enjoyment of not meeting colleagues, which might have masked that um, there's stress in the job. But there's also genuinely new circumstances that have led to burnout, such as homeschooling, the lack of separation between work and life. And so the authors make the argument that we really need a widespread recognition of this phenomenon and that employers have to take this into account when managing their workforce as we transition into hybrid or still being stuck in lockdown as we are in Sydney. And these highly unusual circumstances don't just lead to burnout. We know, for instance, from research in the US that more than 40% of Americans reported some symptoms of anxiety or depression and that these rates are about double what they were before the pandemic. And this often translates into people not necessarily experiencing burnout, but people experiencing, you know, pandemic brain fog or forgetfulness or difficulty concentrating, difficulty being productive, or just some general fuzziness. So there seems to be a real impact of the pandemic, the working from home, the monotony of being stuck in lockdown on the brain itself, but also on our cognitive functions, such as making memories or having a sense of time. Which both reduce our sense of well-being and our experience of the workday and of just days in general, right? We're calling them two days now because they all... <laughs> They're all <laughs> like, just like the other day. <laughs> and, and there's a real issue now with, for example, remembering things and knowing when things happened because turns out that for having a good sense of time, we need change in our life. And for making memories, we need memorable experiences like changing contexts, being in different places or having different things happening. If every day is the same, it is very hard to 
you know, know what happened and when it happened. Yeah. What day is it today? What week is it? You know, when did I last order my groceries online? And cognitive scientists have coined the term contextual binding theory. So a theory according to which memories are formed by linking the things you experience to the context in which those events occurred. So, of course, if we're commuting to work, if we're in an office, if we have just bought a cup of coffee or we've gone to a conference or we've gone to a meeting room, we remember all those little details. And they act as pointers in our brains to retrieve the kind of things that we experienced. So the more varying the contexts are, the better the brain is able to actually access those memories. If your entire life revolves around the same kitchen table or on the same couch, on the same screen with the same Zoom every day, it is very hard for the brain to make the kind of distinctions that will allow you to later access any meaningful memories. And let's spare a thought now, not only for all those people trying to learn how to bake a loaf of bread online, but also for the many students, many of our students who are now stuck doing all of their classes, all of their studies online. Um, not an easy thing where in lockdown all of the experiences we have have more or less the same context. So what contextual binding theory would say is that when you transition between different lecture rooms, when you're meeting people in the cafeteria, when you have varying contexts, what you learn will also be remembered better by the brain. The brain can access those experiences much better. So there is a real challenge now for our students who are now learning on Zoom and who do not have the variety in their lives of changing contexts. So where does this leave us uh, as we're still stuck in a pandemic in terms of well-being? First of all, we need to recognize that mental health's lack of well-being does not affect everyone equally, as we mentioned. We've said the burden has fallen on young people, on women disproportionately. So we need to pay more attention to certain groups. On the other hand, we can do certain things, making our lives a little bit easier around the mental fog, for example, and building memories. So changing location around the house, going for a walk during a lunch break, breaking up the day, trying to deliberately insert some variety into one's day will help the brain stay fresh and make those memories and give us a better sense of time as we make our way out of the pandemic. And also importantly, remembering to check in on those we work with, even if we don't necessarily have a reason, maybe reaching out to colleagues you haven't spoken to or seen in a while, seeing how they're doing. Yes, because the lack of social contact, the lack of informal meetings with other people is a major contributor to the drop in well-being during the pandemic. And because it's such an important topic, our next episode will take a closer look at those relationship aspects. Of course, well-being is only part of the story of hybrid or distributed Work. We've already looked at productivity, for example. So next time we look at relationships and culture. But that's all we have time for today. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. From the University of Sydney Business School, this was Corona Business Insights, the podcast that explores the future of business in the wake of the global pandemic. Connect with us on LinkedIn, Twitter, WeChat and Flipboard and subscribe, like or leave us a rating wherever you get your podcasts.